great to be with you on a Friday, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and this is Real Talk with Keith Smith. Thank you kindly for joining us Friday in Charlottesville in Central Virginia before a three-day weekend. Quentin Beckham is a man with, fl- with plans and friends and family trees. We'll catch up with QB and ask him what he's doing this three-day weekend. Carrie Griggs is going to join us in mere minutes on today's program. The man with the outlook and personality that appeals to absolutely everyone. Carrie Griggs, <laughs> Keller Williams Alliance. Keith Smith is in, is it, the, is it Grand Cayman? Green Cayman, St. Kitts, something much prettier than where I'm at. Yeah, he's, he's on an island. Is that fair? He's on an island. He's on an island with his bride, Yona. I believe they're, they're, they're celebrating an anniversary right now, Quentin? Uh, they are. I don't know how long, though. Yeah, Quentin, I, Quentin is, is not Keith, as you can tell. I'm not Keith. This is Quentin Beckham. He's our friend. (laughs) Keith is uh, on an island getting sun-kissed with his beautiful bride on one of uh, their anniversary years. I think either 36 or 37. Um, Still, good morning, my friend. How, How is life? It's good, and you know it's been a long time when you look at the pictures he's got, because there's a picture of him and Yona from way back. I know. And he looks like a small child. (laughs) <laughs> I think he's watching and if right. you if you look at the look on her face, he just did something wrong. Oh, I think you can put it on screen. And she's it's the one Yona with the white glasses on. Quentin is exactly right. This and look, he doesn't have a mustache. He does not have a mustache. Yeah, and that yeah. was the bet. He he does not have a mustache, and he looks like a small child. He looks like a small child. This is him, um, as he says, um, in the military on the other side of the wall in a communist country where he met Yona. If you want to put that photo on screen, that would be great. It's on Keith's personal Facebook page. He posted it three hours ago. He's in Grand Case St. Martin, 37-year anniversary. Um, it's a nice little montage he posted. You got um, camping plans this weekend. That's right. That's right. Uh, myself, Lee, Alex. Lee's watching. Uh, some friends of his, Eric. Uh, we are headed to places with water and trees and no cell service. How does... Wow, no cell service. Do you no. get anxiety with that or no? I get anxiety with that. I don't get anxiety about it, but I'm over planning. So however much stuff I need, I've probably packed half again as much more. How long can you go with no cell service before you get the anxiety? Uh, I think that depends on when you were born. Mm. So you can go a, a long period of time, right? When I grew up, we didn't have phones that followed us around. They weren't like this trilogy of terror moment where every time you turned around, your phone was there. Well, but the reason I did ask that, though, is because you run and own many businesses, and oftentimes we are tethered to the phone as owners of businesses, especially with a couple of hundred people um, in the Quinton Beckham professional network. I do this in partnership with really good people who actually go. run them on my behalf, all of whom you know. And so um, it's, a, it's a really pleasant fiction that they need me to do stuff. Oh, come on. And I'll, one that I want to continue to promote for a while. I've known him for a while. The man is of uh, tremendous vision. He understands where markets are moving before many are. I'm going to pick that vision um, apart here with some questions in moments. Lee, jump in. Oh, Lee has jumped in. Jeep Vader quitness packed and ready to go. 
It's packed to the gills, Quentin. I can't wait to get out and camp on this lovely holiday weekend, Lee Elberson says. Given what the Surgeon General said about social media's effect on mental health, we should all be getting outside more often and without our phones. Lee Elberson. Do you, know that, you see him doing that? Do you, do you know that you change how your face moves when you're quoting Lee? <laughs> I just, I generally, like... You take like, on a, you do like a Lee face? Like Quentin, Quentin Lee, I generally mean this. Like Quentin, I genuinely, genuinely love Lee Elberson. Um, and when he leaves a comment, it makes me happy. He is very much opposed to social media, Senor Elberson. The irony here is he's interacting with his friends through a social media platform right now. Just the irony. Okay, I was curious about like, how he was commenting at all. Um, so what are you going to do camping? You got a hammock? I have a hammock. I have a pop-up tent. I have a bottle of bourbon that's going with me. And What kind? Uh, oh, gosh. You would ask that. Uh, this is Woodford. Okay. Very nice. And I, I have no real, like, I, I just want to go out and be in the trees and next to the water and burn things. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to take that truck? Uh, yes. We're taking the truck. Okay. So that this will be like the first big camping excursion okay. in the Rivian. So I'm excited about that. And all the things to plug in and where you can store stuff and how it's going to run. And then there's, I think at the end of it, we might do a little off-roading on oh. our way back. Okay. So you're living the dream. Which, which we've done before, and it's great fun. And I have to tell you, the Rivian does that amazingly well. I was, I was semi-impressed. I'm starting to see um, Rivians around town. There are several of them. You were one of the first. There was me and one other realtor who okay. I still have not identified, but I see their car With in the, the parking lot. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, that had the originals, but now I'm seeing some of the SUV versions yes. out, the R1S. That's what I'm seeing. And every time we see each other on the road, we're both drivers go, oh, <laughs> there's another one. <laughs> Very much like the Jeep culture, right, Lee Alberson? All right, it's a real estate show, so we're going to pick some brain, uh, pick Quinn's brain and talk real estate. You are, like I said, a, a guy who sees markets moving before markets move. We have a three-day weekend, and a lot of people say, look, summer's starting. You can wear the white pants. You can, you can eat hot dogs off the grill. You can, uh, if the attire changes... And the, uh, and the cuisine changes, will the inventory change? You know, I think we should have a deeper talk about who can wear white pants and who can't, because <laughs> I, I don't know that it's like a universal rule that everybody should just... You don't like white pants? I see you as a white very, pant guy. I'm a white pant guy. There's a very limited population that should be allowed to wear white pants. Okay. Why? Because they're white pants. Because they get dirty or because of the look? Yes. All the above? Yes. All the above? Yes. Yes. <laughs> White is a dangerous color. White is a dangerous. Isn't it after um, the 29th you can wear the white pants? The white. I don't know. I didn't grow up with these rules. I'm pretty sure that's the rule. Is after the 29th you can wear the white. When I were when I was young, I just knew that after every one of my brother's birthdays, I got hand-me-down clothes. How many siblings? None of which were white pants. Uh, four full brothers, three stepbrothers, a half brother, and a half sister. Uh, dang, dude, I didn't know that. Philip Dow says, "Does this mean getting outside without our phones and not listening to the I Love Seville Network and all the great shows?" Philip, I'm torn on that because I see the value of distancing yourself from social media, but I also see the value of uh, tuning into the I Love Seville Network. Thank you kindly for watching today's show. Um, I'm actually excited about the idea that that I can't connect. 
that it's an impossibility. I'm glad. I'm, I'm envious that you have that personality skill set or trait that allows you to do it. This Bec is also why I'm relaxed on planes, because once I've done everything I can do, the rest is out of my control. Because I, I see you often, especially in the studio here, and you're often tethered to screens and putting out fires professionally. From what I see in the couple, three, four years of us doing this, you're, a fight, you're, a, you're an extinguisher like me, and that extinguisher uh, mentality happens through screens. We probably all break down into either firemen or contractors, and certainly my role is often that of a fireman. Yeah, right. And all the folks that run the businesses on my behalf are all more contractors. Right. And in the end, it's the contractors that do the really impressive stuff. Okay, that's fair. I like that. Look at the humility from the quarterback over here, QB himself. I mean, we get, we get a lot of publicity as firemen. Don't get me wrong. Well, in fact, I was just visiting uh, the firehouse yesterday. I dropped off pizza. I also noticed on your Facebook page that you recently earned um, some more real estate hardware. I did. There was a photo posted on your Facebook page, if memory oh, serves correct. Oh, that's right. It was right. shiny and pretty. It is very shiny. What, it, what, what was that? Uh, that is the uh, RPAC Platinum R President's Circle Hall of Fame pen with two non-diamond, diamond-looking things in it. Okay. I thought they were diamonds. Are they CZs? I have no idea, but I would be astonished if they were real diamonds. Okay, and, I thought they were and diamonds. And if they are, pack, don't do that. Spend our money on better things. Don't spend <laughs> it on, on that. <laughs> it was nice. What's the it's significance? Nice. It's nice. Um, it, it's, it denotes a certain level of support for the Realtor Political Action Committee um, that does lots and lots of things. For instance, when we had the pandemic and um, professions were being sorted out into essential and non-essential, it was uncertain where realtors were going to fall. And so the state association and the lobbyists that were funded by things like RPAC um, were able to make the case that particularly in the pandemic, we were an essential service. Yeah, I can't even imagine. And we were allowed to keep happened. functioning. Yeah. I mean, how, I, I can't even imagine someone making it an argument that you guys are not essential. You guys are the most essential of all essential. It goes the emergency medical fire police first and then you you guys are the ones that do the housing we need places to live yeah that's, i mean that's that's the argument there no uh we need places for people to live and people can't put their moves on hold and so removing the ability for them to have an advisor and a and a skilled counselor seemed like uh something that was a bad idea particularly when people's needs were very specific for housing because of where they were in the pandemic. Kids at home, public schools not really accepting kids and working from home and all that stuff. And in hindsight, can you imagine navigating that volatility? And by volatility, I mean some of the best years in real estate without uh, a trusted advisor. I mean, how would that have even worked? It was bananas those and, times. And I think that's true in all years. You know, um, there's so much going on around the real estate industry and the public consciousness and in courtrooms and in other places. And I think there is, uh, I think realtors as a whole and brokers as a whole have done a disservice in sort of all the things that go on behind the scenes that are transparent to the client. 
there's so much that happens that um, if you've done your job well, those stressors and a lot of those things that, that the client would have to otherwise deal with on their own, they, they never get a feel for. And so there's, there's this need now for us to do a better job of, of really training and teaching and educating the public on what really does happen. What are you paying for? And why are realtors worth what they're worth? Um, Drew Sersky giving you some props right Hey, now. Drew. Um, he's watching the program. Drew, thank you for watching um, this fine and fair talk show. You got some of the, uh, your colleagues at Nest on the feed watching the show. And then I got some texts and DMs coming in, which I will get to in a matter of moments. Do you, do you think anything's going to change June? I mean, after this show is over, we have a three-day weekend. We head into truly the summer months. We got folks coming on vacation. Uh, I would imagine your, your statement, and I don't want to guess, is this is the market for, for, for a long period of time. Um, you know, we're in a transition market, which is very different from what people have experienced in the rocket ship market that we just left. You know, there was a rocket ship market that was moving so quickly and so far past the speed of sound that you could really see the move and know exactly you know where it was pointed. And now we're in this different transition market that is more like, I don't know, an infection in your body that's slowly growing in your jaw until it takes up your whole head. Jeez Louise. Um, there are small signs. <laughs> there are small signs and small discomforts, um, but it's really hard to know how that's going to go and, and what's next unless you're in it every single day. And even then the ability to predict is, is sometimes rough. I don't believe we're going to continue to see these high climbing mortgage rates. They, they're near the top right now, if not already there. They will come down. I'd be astonished if the Fed's raised rates again based on the data we're getting. And all of the things you see about the real estate market cooling, it's cooling in comparison to the rocket ship. So that's a good thing. Seeing inventory come up is a good thing, and we're in the middle of that sort of reset and transition period, which I think in, if anybody's out there that's worried about either rates or you were going to sell a home and you feel like you missed your lottery win moment, this slower market is really better for you. You have an opportunity to take time and make choices and look at things. And Are there still homes that are going to go on the market and sell in three days? Yeah, there's still quite a few of those. And there always have been. But there's also just a better pace. If you're in the city and you're needing to upsize and downsize and you want to stay pretty local to the Charlottesville metro area, you have much better opportunity to do that now in a way where you're not feeling shoved than you did a year or two years ago. This is a great question that's coming in. Thank you. That was a great uh, statement there. This is from Caitlin Smith. She says, are you seeing any of the agents pivot into any of the other verticals in real estate, property management, uh, Airbnb management, anything like that, Quentin? Uh, we haven't really seen masses of that at the moment, although I don't know that I've been specifically looking for it. What we have been watching is just the total number of realtors in the Commonwealth and in our local area. And, you know, one of the axioms is that at, when the real estate market expands, the number of realtors goes up real estate market contracts, the number of realtors go down, and we're starting to see that drop off. Still too early to know how big that's going to be. And so I think more than 
the pivot because what most realtors do who are good businessmen is they don't pivot, they add. Yeah. So more than the pivot, I think what you're going to see is a reduction in the sheer number of realtors as time goes on and probably not as obvious as you might see because most of the folks that you're familiar with, maybe you see their signs in your neighborhood or you've bought or sold a house with brokerage, they're going to be around. They've lived through similar things before and they're going to continue to be around. So it's, it's just folks that maybe were dabbling or testing the waters, maybe doing it for a one-time, one-year thing, as many realtors do. And so I think you'll see those numbers contract without really, oh my gosh, so-and-so left this and went into glass blowing or whatever side hustle they did. What's the push, what's the push uh, to get through this? Uh, for the for the new ones, is it about personal brand and building personal brand? I mean, one of the things that I like about your brokerage is you educate. That's why folks go to KWA. Is you have this fantastic educational piece. We do. What's we do. the push for the new one to make it through a time like this? So it's it's interesting. Um, we get asked this question a lot, and really, not, nothing has changed. All the things you did before, you need to be doing. You just had less time to do them two years ago because you, you were walking down the sidewalk and you got smacked with the listing and you got smacked with somebody that needed to buy something right now. And so I think we're shifting from success being related to speed to success being related to skill. And so that opportunity to not just be educated, but be a great educator for your clients, it really needs to happen. And now we have mediums to do that that are much more accessible than they used to be. In addition to that, we all have the circles that we operate in. You know, how many people do you and I know together, even though we've never sat in the same room with them together? So really connecting with those circles, staying in touch with them, and offering value in between the sales and not just when a sale is happening, that's one of the greatest ways for, for realtors to continue to succeed in the, the market. The value in between the sales is what he was emphasizing on Monday when he was meeting um, folks at various um, networking events, and he's like, oh, I'm gonna, this guy just met is under the handyman category. This guy just met is under the electrician category. This guy just met is under this category. So when one of his clients needs something, you can pass that contact information along. The person I'm referencing just got here on the show. His name is Kerry Griggs. He did Welcome, so, he did so well on Monday. <laughs> he's back on Friday. Your KWA office, I swear to God, may have a video tutorial of what to do well from Monday show, courtesy of you. First, good morning, and, and then, my friend, it's, it's great to have you back, and then anywhere you want to go, we will adapt to you. You know what? I'm just super excited to be in the studio today. It's, uh, it's Friday. Happy Friday, everybody Happy out there. Happy Friday. Celebrate it. You only get 52 a year, so make it worth it. Um, you know, I'm just uh, I'm happy to be back on the show. It's great. I heard you guys talking about what we do in between transactions and how we love on uh, our clients and things like that. I think that's where y'all were. Um, I, yeah, I, I just taught a class yesterday about uh, cold calling and how I get to increase my sphere very quickly because of that tactic that I use. You and cold call? I do. Walk us through the cold calls. All right. So, you know, everybody Walk has us through this strategy because this is a strategy not everyone's willing to do. So, um, you know, like I told you on Monday, my kind of background story, 
you know, I was in a place that I had to do something differently. Um, cold calling for me is, uh, it's just me getting to know new people. So when I get um, a prospect that may or may not know that, well, actually that's what cold calling is. They don't know me. They don't know that I'm going to be reaching out to them. And I just have a genuine conversation. I speak with confidence because I'm confident in my ability. Um, but you reach out to them uh, because they are looking for homes or they wouldn't have clicked on the learn more get more information button uh, but they don't know that it's going to be me on the other end of the line so you have to be very um you know understanding that you're calling them out of the blue and be respectful of their time are these but, cold calls coming from like say zillow uh i don't personally use zillow leads okay. but uh you know just i have the keller williams command that i use and if i post one of my listings out there that is just on the market it's to advertise for my seller but you know, buyers will click on the ad itself, and then I reach out to them, ask them what their needs are, be genuine, ask important questions, those kind of things that I do that helps me increase my spheres quickly. And with me developing a team, even though I represent the seller, my teammates may be able to represent the buyer and do it well. Very nicely done. Um, one of the things that we found fascinating was the very um, many ways that you're constantly improving your educational palette. Yeah. through courses that you're actually purchasing. I think the number was eight to $10,000 a year yeah. that you spend on education. Was that number accurate? Yeah. Eight to 10K a year he's spending at on least. courses. Yeah. That's, inf- that's impressive. Is that the norm? Uh, it should be, but is it? It is the norm for your PhD in real estate, yes. <laughs> you know, it's, there's so much to learn and you can run your business so different. You know, I'm very fortunate that I'm surrounded with peers that are high level and help bring me up. Um, you know, they run their operation a little different. The Beckham team, they're very um, charismatic and they, uh, <laughs> Quinn's looking at me, uh, they, but they are, but they're very Listen, thorough. Jason Kirby's a little charismatic. Over yeah. There. No, yeah. Let me get your Kool-Aid. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they're, they're very thorough. Um, you know, when they go into a listing appointment, they do it a little bit differently than what I do. You know, I'm ADHD at its finest, so I'm in and out. Uh, But I also want my clients to know that they can call me with any questions if we didn't address it there on the spot. Uh, You know, I answer my phone 24-7. My wife may not like that. I know the feeling. (laughs) But, you know, uh, that's the business that we're in, and she does. uh, she's a lender, so she understands. You know, you're on call. People have questions, and we work uh, different hours than what most people do. My work day really is starts at 4.30 and then goes into the evening times. And my work week is Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Clean up everything from the weekend on Monday. Maybe relax Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday. Um, Scott Worth watching the program. Um, Scott Aaronworth of Virginia Beach. What's up, Scotty? Um, I'm going to throw this to you. This is an intriguing comment. This is about needing to do a domino deal to get into the next house. Okay. Okay, are you ready? Jennifer Darlington. She says, are we in such a competitive market that our family's going to have to go ahead and list our house, sell it, and then do one of those staybacks just to be able to buy the next house? Because what we're being told is a home sale contingency just not, is, is not going to work in today's market. Um, I think I can't answer for you. So that's really dependent on the house, the neighborhood, and where you're wanting to go. So if the house and the neighborhood you're seeking to purchase is highly competitive, 
yeah, that might be what you have to do. Whereas uh, that's not true 100% of the time in the market right now, but it's, it's very frothy. So, you know, what's true in this little teeny bubble over here may not be true in this little teeny bubble, which is why you have to have like your entire conversation of your personal needs, what's happening in your local house and what is happening in the neighborhood you want to move to. You want to touch this one? So um, this is basically what I think she's asking here. They own a house. They need to sell their current house to get the equity to buy the next house, which is a move-up house. Um, when you're trying to sell your current house to buy the next one, it's called a home sale contingency. If you're trying to buy a house in a very competitive neighborhood, a home sale con a contingency may be a red flag because it may mean the deal takes longer, especially if you have cash buyers or a well-vetted finance buyer. So the question is, do we have to sell our house before we buy the next one? That's what she's asking. It's a great question. Certainly a very high-pressure scenario. Now, what scenario. I will say is if you can do that first, it's always better regardless. Because one Sell of, or list? To sell the home that you're getting out of to reduce the sensation of onus right. from that home sale contingency. What if it's just a list then instead of sell? Like it's, they, they've got it listed. It's an active listing. Does that help at all? Again, it, every step forward is a little bit better than having no step taken at all. Fair. Um, I, think, I think what most sellers that you would be on the other end of, so I'm a buyer and I'm buying Carrie's house and he's buying your house, but he can't buy your house until I buy his house. We also know that I could fall over dead at any moment. So let's suppose that happens three days before closing. Now something that's completely out of your control and completely out of his control has stopped the whole deal. And since he's not getting money from me, he can't use that money to buy yours. And that's why this contingency has an onus that is separate from, let's say, a home inspection contingency, because a home inspection contingency is only between you two. So depending on what he finds, you can always turn around and fix it or offer some cash or you have control in the final decision. So if the deal does come apart, it's because you think it should. Whereas home sale contingencies bear a little that, it's not really a red flag, but it is a contingency. It's just a contingency that involves three parties instead of only two. Your thoughts? I mean, I think he's right. You just said it really just depends on this. Right. Depends on your scenario. I've had, mm -hmm. um, I just put a house on the market today. She had an offer in a different state accepted with a home to sell contingency. So I understand that every scenario is a little bit different. I just closed on one two weeks ago that was a home to sell contingency. My buyer had to sell their home in order to purchase the other one. And that went through just fine. Uh, I just think that it's really depending on your scenario, situation, and location. I, I totally, totally agree. Um, and if you don't have a realtor, Carrie's number is 434-962-1941. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you. You, should have, you should have a realtor that's, that's really talking about your specific house and where you want to move and what all of those variables are. Because I mean, it will change from place to place. Go ahead. Let's just be honest and real with each other. Even with the home to sell contingency with you know, multiple offers, if the offer is good enough, they still might consider your offer. How much are you willing to pay? What's the, what's the premium you have to pay to offset a home sale contingency? Oh, I mean, I know there's no standard right there, and it depends no on seller, but it's a premium. What he say. just said was right. It depends on the whole package. Cause yeah. Money's just one item in the contract. It's just one. Um, 
and the opportunity for rent backs to the seller or you know what it what was that made up thing Jason said uh, Jason uh, complimentary seller possession oh complimentary seller Jason possession. Kirby came up with that term <laughs> complimentary <laughs> seller possession half of KWA is laughing out loud right now after we said that. you know <laughs> Jason Kirby that made is that not up. a legal term I just no. want you to know Jason makes crap up but yeah. but here's the thing with the complimentary seller possession we learned it can only go 60 days that if you go past the 60 day marker um, it, it actually does not work with the loan. The loan will not allow it. Because the lock will expire? Uh, exactly. That, it will expire, and then it becomes a, it's seen as a, a rental or investment property. Mm. Once you go past the 60-day mark. Every mortgage has its requirement of when the purchaser takes possession. That's right. That's right. So you're getting props on the show from, I hope I'm not messing up this person's name, Nadhami Haman. Nami? Yeah. Hey, buddy. Good to Giving see you. Giving you some props right now. Uh, we have some folks in Richmond watching the program and Lynchburg watching the show. But 60 days, if they do the rent back, let's say Jennifer's family um, lists their house, the house goes under contract, and then they say when the house is under contract, we need, we need 60 days after closing um, to continue living here so we can find another house. That's a pressure, high-pressure scenario. Especially in today's market, because there's not a lot of options or inventory on the market. And you're still going to need 45 days, 60 days minimum to close. So way back when I was helping do organ transplants, uh -huh. um, I used to just be astonished at how the planets had to line up for me to take the heart out of one person along with a bunch of surgeons and nurses and fly it across town and they put it in somebody else and it worked. And it was incredible, and yet we did this every single day. Every day this happened in this pseudo-miraculous sort of way. And if you think real estate and dominoes are more complicated than that, you're I knew fooling he was yourself. Say that. I knew that's where he was going to go with this one. And, and so we, we do want to, you, much like these other forms of transplants that I'm talking about, you do want somebody that's done it a bunch of times, that's really good at it, that has a good track record, that has help. And, and, a, and a system of assistance around them. And yeah, I'm sure it is going to be stressful for you. And we're going to help reduce that stress. And we're going to earn every penny in that commission because we make this happen all the time. I yeah. love it. I absolutely love it. And yes, Jackson, you are 100% right. Jackson puts on the feed. There's a couple of realtors in the area that have short-term housing geared specifically for folks that need a bridge or a place to live in the scenario you are describing right now. There are a couple of realtors that are capitalizing on that, and I think it's brilliant. Um, this is from LinkedIn, from our buddy Lee. Is the house flipping practice good or bad for, for the local housing market? Namely, does it have any noticeable effect on first-time home buyers? And I said, Lee, I'm going to ask Carrie and Quentin this question. Carrie, your thoughts. Uh, do I think, uh, so say the question one more time. Is the house flipping practice good or bad for the local housing market? Namely, does it have any noticeable impact or effects on first-time home buyers? I personally think that it's a good effect on the local market. Um, you're taking a distressed property and you're renovating it to 
a quality where somebody's going to actually desire being in that neighborhood. I think it's a good. Uh, now, as far as the comps and everything, I mean, let's be realistic. I have to level with sellers all the time. Every house has cabinets. Every house has countertops. Every house has finished floors. Just because you went extravagant and put, you know, the most expensive wood flooring in your house doesn't mean that you're going to get that premium back out of that product. You've also said in previous shows, which you should highlight again, a lot of the upgrades sellers think they're making to their house as upgrades aren't actually upgrades. You were very clear about this, and I think this is important to emphasize. Yeah, like I said before, every house has these these items in it. And so unless you're adding square footage, bedroom or bathroom count, or more curb appeal, I don't think it's going to really increase the property's value too much. I would just, if you're going to flip a property, go with some basic items and let your home, your new home buyer be the one, keep it affordable, let your new home buyer be the one that turns it into whatever creation they want it to and be. And I love that you're saying this because people get confused that removing a negative somehow turns into a positive. So when, when you go to sell your 1970s ranch with its original bathroom and kitchen layout and you upgrade to contractor grade current stuff, you don't get anything extra for that. That's like saying I get $5,000 extra on the last gas car I sold because I changed the oil every 5,000 miles. No, that's just catching up the house. That's, you know, keeping it competitive with other houses in the local market, but you don't get a bonus for that. How about from Kelsey? Is a new roof an upgrade? Uh, Or is that catching up a house? I would say it's going to be more appealing to buyers. It is catching up the house. You may get a little bump out of that because a a new buyer will notice that that is going to come along with a 25-year warranty. So they may add some value on it, but it's it's still a roof. Uh, That's maintenance. If your roof is dead you're still going to have to replace that. I don't, I don't disagree. And, you know, let's face it. In Virginia, one of the, the two biggest enemies of housing in Virginia is water and zoning. And so anything you can do... <laughs> anything, and parking. Anything you can do that is helping keep the house water-free and, and keeping water in the spaces where it belongs and out of the spaces where it does not is a bonus if you're buying a used car, a car with a full maintenance record where you can see everything was done and the tires are brand new, it's certainly going to sell faster and for a better price than the car that doesn't have any of that and is obviously beat up and poorly cared for. It's very very much the same thing. And I think what Lee was alluding to in his I'm going to light this fuse and see if something blows up kind of way... I think I know what he's alluding to. ...is does flipping houses gentrify a neighborhood and remove potential affordable housing at the lower end of the spectrum. And, and I know there's a lot of... I think that's exactly what he's alluding to. Uh, really? Yeah, and I think he's also oh alluding gosh. to flipping Lee, houses... Lee, I hope we're not painting you into a corner as a pot stirrer. I think because... he's also alluding to flipping houses, making uh, neighborhood comps higher, which then makes the tax burden on folks that are retirees or don't have income coming in more difficult to stay in their house. That's what he's also alluding to. I, I hear you. Um, whereas if we allowed dilapidated houses to continue to drag down the value of a neighborhood, that would be better. So <laughs> There's the response right there. That's a good response. So, one, let's not confuse houses being rehabilitated and distressed houses being returned to the market as the thing that's causing your affordable housing crisis. That is not the thing that is causing your affordable housing crisis. I think he's 100% Anybody right. want to fight with that, feel free to chime in. Don't, because you're wrong. 
That's not what's creating the problem. Let's not mix that up. There was an era of gentrification where non-distressed houses were bought for cash. This mostly happened on the West Coast. Got ripped down and mansions put up and they slowly changed that neighborhood into one of non-affordability and that's not what you're seeing go on. What you are seeing going on is houses where people are behind on payments, they can do a short sell where they can sell it to somebody else. Generally when they're behind, they haven't been able to do the maintenance and all the things that we're talking about, which then gives the opportunity to the person that purchased it to go in, fix it up, and sell it at a price that the market will bear to somebody that then gets to move in a house that's moved and the person that short sold it no longer has the risk of a foreclosure on their record and maybe even gets to walk away with some cash. If you're talking about houses that are foreclosed, if they're anywhere in the Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae orbit, when they come back out to us through HUD and we list them for sale, if that happens, the first seven days that they're on the market, investors are not allowed to bid. Only owner occupants are allowed to bid on that house. And when you do purchase that house as an owner occupant, you're not allowed to sell it for 12 months. Those numbers vary a little bit with who the servicer is for those particular houses, but those houses are specifically limited to the person that's been watching this neighborhood because it's, I don't know, maybe it's where their grandkid lives or their mom and they want to be next door. Somebody gets foreclosed on, somebody passes away maybe and there's nobody to take over the house, who knows? They have the first option to outbid all the investors by being aware and looking. So there's actually opportunity in there. And frequently people either don't want them because it feels like too much work and rehabbing a house is a skill set. It's, it's, it's not yeah. something you just decide you're going to do one day like camping out in the woods amongst bears and snakes. You just It's a skill. And so often returning these to the life of all the other houses around them, which is generally what flipping does, provides another, uh, another venue for homeownership to happen. If you want to talk about affordable housing, we're talking about zoning. We're talking about rules from development to getting a key in the door, and we're talking about costs of lending around that. That's mostly what you're talking about when you're talking about affordable housing. It's not the one-off flip in your neighborhood that just astonishes you, and those can happen. And on rare moments, there maybe there's a half a percent or one percent of those houses that do feel a little devious or underhanded, but 99% of the time, that's not what's happening. Um, this cop, you were, that's fantastic. Ooh, the coffee kicked I, I can tell. I can tell. That was excellent right there. That was fire. Do you want to respond to anything that he said? Or no, should I, I go to what's coming in on Twitter quickly here? I, I would go that. Uh, that was a well-crafted response was, right there. That was well. This was in response to Lee's comment. This is from Twitter. Um, and, and, and the comment basically says this. It's not flips that are gentrifying neighborhoods. Instead, it's things like Airbnbs. There's a home a thousand feet from mine where the owners of the property do not live there. They live out of state and are literally driving in on Wednesday, spending the night Wednesday to get the house ready for the weekend and the Airbnb rental. Nothing the city can do to enforce this has happened despite us reporting on multiple times. So here's the question. Are Airbnbs impacting affordability in the city? Who wants to touch this? I will add to this. In Wednesday or Thursday, it was either Wednesday night or Thursday night, it was a Democratic forum hosted by the Charlottesville Democrats. 
and Michael Payne, who is a sitting counselor, an active counselor. He's running for re-election. Quentin knows Michael well. Good guy. Quentin Beckham says, or excuse me, Michael Payne says, on the record, we should straight up ban homestays and Airbnbs from Charlottesville City altogether. Why? I have a question. What's different from that, from somebody owning six houses and renting them out long term? What's different between the homestays and someone owning six houses and renting them out long term? Well, the argument can be made the landlord (coughs) that owns the six houses and rents them out long term is renting them out to locals that live within the market, where the person that owns the Airbnb unit is cannibalizing a piece of inventory that a local could live in and instead allocating it for pure profit purposes to our tourists. Okay. I mean, I, I'm a libertarian and a free market guy. You know I want to see property rights for anyone. And if someone wants to do Airbnb with their property rights, I have no beef with that. I think the law says that you have to live in the Airbnb, in the property, half the year for it to be a legitimate and legal Airbnb. One of the things we know is happening, and I will stop talking, is that the, are, they are not enforcing that rule. That rule is not being enforced. We know that's happening. I personally, I feel differently about it. Um, I... I don't mind the Airbnbs for that, uh, the reason that people are wanting to come to this area, which is great. It tells me that we have something to offer the world. If they're wanting to come to Charlottesville, Virginia, and stay and spend their money and shop at our local stores and actually be part of the downtown mall and go to these stores that are just these mom-and-pop stores and not big corporations, I don't see a problem with that. But that's me personally. Should they be banned altogether? Richmond's taken in a very unique approach to this, but go ahead, Quentin. Uh, I don't know what Richmond has done, so you'd have to educate me on that. Um, I think overgeneralizing to demonize Airbnbs or homestays or short-term stays is bad. So let's talk about Airbnbs for a bit. Because, again, if you think putting all these Airbnbs on the market is suddenly going to fix your affordable housing problem in the city, that's probably not true. Um, If you go through the Airbnbs that are in the city that are available, and I've done it before, not in a long time, and in our brokerage we did list a couple for sale that were not purchased – these are not house. These are not two hundred thousand dollars houses. These are not no. three hundred thousand dollars houses. These are dope houses. These, these are five, six, yeah. six, seven. six to to million dollar houses. Yeah, um, and there are still, I'm sure, Airbnbs that violate a variety of rules in terms of parking, and maybe they're just rented out to people that are consistently obnoxious and a pain to the neighborhood. And am I going to say that that's their right? No, because they, they should respect the neighborhood that they're in. And there's, there's some texture to this. To globally, universally say Airbnbs are wrong and they're stealing houses out of the hands of the middle class is probably wrong. Are there some that did that? Probably, sure. But the middle class not having housing is a function of density and zoning and the things that we've done over years that have created this a really limited market with only single-family detached as the vast housing source with building in addition to it that severely underpaces 
economic growth and the and jobs and people moving into the area. So I think it's it's really tempting sometimes to pick a single discrete thing that we can put a name to and we want to label it and make it the demon that's responsible for all of our ills. In in my world we called that mom, but <laughs> it it's really easy and tempting to do that, but I don't think these blanket generalizations are true. Should Airbnb be, should Airbnb blah, 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 Airbnb owners have to obey all the rules like everybody else? Absolutely. Those rules should be enforced. Let's talk about who rents to students and and how many of those are probably not 100% above board in terms of zoning oh, none of the, and, none of the student, I, and I don't rules. I mean, come on. Yeah, you can't technically by the letter this of the law. This didn't suddenly happen. <laughs> None of this stuff suddenly happened. Technically by the letter of the law, a lot of the student housing, which is what Quentin has alluded to, uh, the privately owned student housing is illegal. Because the letter of the law says that when you're living in a house like that, you can have... What's the, what's the exact language do you know? I know it's basically you can have um, folks outside your family living in your house up to a certain amount. And a lot of these houses around UVA, especially the ones behind UVA Corner, have 8, 10, 12 students living in one house. And technically, that's against the law. So here's what we're talking about. Michael Payne says in the Democratic Forum that maybe we should disallow Airbnbs. What Richmond is doing now, the Richmond market's very And I don't know what they're doing, so please. I'll, I'll give it to you guys in kind of like a back of the napkin. Richmond is very different than Charlottesville in that it has tremendous housing stock, way more inventory than we do. So what Richmond is doing is they've just made Airbnbs completely legal, and they've disallowed or they've removed the requirement that you have to live in the Airbnb for half the year. Mm -hmm. Because if a husband and wife have to live in a house for half the year, at most they can have is two Airbnbs, right? They could live at one house for 180 days, and then they could technically go to another house and live there for 180 days. And then you could have two Airbnbs. But what Richmond said was, why don't we just take the juice the tax that comes with the lodging, the Airbnbs, the jurisdiction gets, and the real estate tax in the assessments that come from the houses. So they're like, Airbnbs for everyone. We're going to get the juice from the assessment and the tax rate, and we'll get the juice from the lodging that comes as well. That's literally what they did. So they're getting more tax revenue, more tax revenue, which I think is genius. Now, Richmond has way more housing stock than a 10.2 square mile landlocked city that is at, uh, at its crescendo or at its cusp. And then we got comments coming in on this. So if you guys want to touch on this or I can go to the comments. Um, you know, I, I, Airbnb and its popularity here and, and all the economics that are making it happen are a supply and demand issue. Why are Airbnbs profitable here? Give me some guesses. Because everybody, the same reasons we live here. Because it's dope to live here and it's visit. Beautiful. Yeah, music, and we, beer, wine, and just, restaurants. And we just had a weekend where families were coming in from across the right. country and struggling for places to stay. Yeah. And there's games, and yeah. people want to come for games. What was that Tom Tom? Um, and there's all this stuff. graduation. Oh, gotcha. <clears throat> so let's suppose we could let everybody have all the Airbnbs they wanted, but we suddenly had double the housing. How much would Airbnb still be that profitable? Would the market dynamics shift a little bit where instead of us making a rule that they can't have it, maybe just nobody would want it anymore? There, there's a lot of ways to look at this. And I still go back to our biggest issue. There's not enough doors for people to live in, whether they're to own them, to lease them, 
or to stay for 60 days. There's just not enough of them. And we have to find a way to include more in ways that are reasonably accessible to the places where concerts, jobs, education, games happen. I love it. Elena Mangione, good morning. Scott Morris, welcome to the show. Kerry Griggs, thoughts? Um, you know, I, again, I, I like the Airbnb thought. If they would allow that, I think they can generate some revenue off of that. If they're getting profits from that, they can use that income, and maybe we can build more houses. Maybe if the zoning relaxes a little bit, we may be able to put more affordable housing in places where they're kind of restricting that. Don't go after the Airbnbs, loosen up the zoning. I mean, am I wrong for saying that? No, no. You, Clinton, the first, the first, you, I like no, I don't disagree. We can't be wrong for having an opinion. So I, mean, I, I totally respect that. You can't please everybody. You got folks saying... And, I, and I'm sort of... And this could be because I'm the oldest person in the building. Uh, I'm resistant to the idea of people being told what they can and can't Ooh, do on their too. property. Same, property too. rights I, I have a real restriction to that. I get it. Like, if, if I'm running the party house in a, in a dense neighborhood and nobody can park and there's bottles in the street, and people pass out on the sidewalk, that's different. That's yeah. impacting other folks. But I'm really, really resistant to the idea that when somebody pur purchases a house or a piece of land, that everybody in the world suddenly is going to tell them what they can and can't do with it. <laughs> yes, we need some rules for a civilized society, but as few as are possible to keep the water running and to put out the fires and to be sure that people have place to put their head down at night and that when they get sick somebody's going to pick them up and take them to a hospital um let's go to carly wagner on linkedin on a previous comment carly says often there are workarounds to not having to sell your home as well for example 401k loans HELOCs, gap or bridge loans can help temporarily if you have a liquidation issue typically not liquid an asset you can get a bridge loan so that's a good comment there from carly wagner Space and she's totally right. They're just more expensive now, and so they're less accessible than they were at the lower mortgage rate. The, he, Scott said on Wednesday the HELOC now is at 10 plus. Yeah. 10 plus points, the interest he rate. He would know better than I would. Oh, yeah, he definitely would. That's, but I'm just saying that's, that's not cheap. I close on one, and I see the rates rise, and I close on one yesterday, 7.25. Yeah, over rates. The 30-year fix yesterday was over 7. Yep. It's been the highest it's been in months. Yep. Yeah, he's 100% right. But you know what? It's still a good time to buy. And I'm not saying that just because I'm a real estate agent, because when you wait for those interest rates to come back down, well, guess what? It's going to just create a frenzy of buyers that have been waiting for the exact same thing. You might as well buy what you want where you want now, even if it is at a higher interest rate. And don't crucify me for saying that, but get what you want now. And then wait for the rates to come down and refining. I think that's legit advice, especially since if you look at the data, Keith mentioned this before he went on vacation, a lot of the car footprint values have appreciated 12% in 2023 alone. So even if at the beginning of the year you're like, crap, I'm buying it the most expensive ever, guess what? You still got 12% of equity in the first five months of the year. That's substantial. Yeah. That's and to not your buying point. when you could made you miss out on any equity that's coming in the next 12 months. There it is. Are you just going to keep sitting on the sidelines? I know there's lots of things about homeownership that are rigged if you were a disproportionately served minority. At the same time, it is a game that until you start playing the game, you're always going to lose. And it's just a proportion of by how much by, based on how long you wait. Um, she also adds this. The 401k loans are paid interest to yourself. 
typically cost $100 to process. So in that scenario, Carly, are you utilizing the 401k as the collateral? Is that what she's doing? Carly sounds like a loan officer. She, I know. She, doesn't she get in the real estate or game? A financial planner. Yeah. Or- yeah, she knows what's up. Are you utilizing the 401k as collateral there? And then is it um, LTV? Are you getting a certain loan to value on whatever the value of your 401k is? Is that how it works, Carly? And then the follow-up question I have for you, if you're utilizing your 401k to get a loan, like say a bridge loan, is, is that portion of the 401k or the portfolio in totality frozen? preventing you from trading because they wouldn't want that collateral to drop in value. So I'm, at, I'm curious to those two questions, Carly. I want to learn from you on today's program. Um, this comes in from Grayson. He goes, I enjoyed the Airbnb talk. One point that you guys are missing is that when someone purchases an Airbnb and strictly utilizes it as an, as an expensive rental, then that takes a housing, that takes a door off the housing market, which could have gone to a family that needed to live in the city. We get that. I don't think we're missing that. I don't disagree. That. Yeah. I, I, I think that we're... We're complaining about very small things and branding them as the source of the issue. And even if I fixed interest rates, Airbnb, students renting in competition with employees and citizens, I'm sorry, students, I guess, are still citizens, but you know what I mean. Even if I fixed all these small issues, you'd still have the affordable housing problem because there's just not enough. Yeah. Until there is enough, everything else we do is a Band-Aid. And so I'd rather not focus on the Band-Aid. I would like us to streamline the process from site plan to a key. I'd like for us to allow better density than we have right now and better development areas in the county that's surrounding us so that we can fix the big problem. You're giving somebody a pill for a runny nose while they're in heart failure, and the end is still going to be the same. I like it. Quentin Beckham, I like it. Carly says she's not in finance. She's just done it herself. So she's speaking from personal experience. Talking about using that 401k to buy the next property without having to sell the first one. Is yeah, dude, correct? she's, I, I mean, she's really made the program better. I, I think nice. she's trying to get into real estate and she's been commenting a lot on our shows and she suggested this strategy where she took her current house where she had tremendous equity yep. and they utilized the 401k um, to finance the purchase of the next one without having to do the domino deal of selling their current one. And so now she's writing her card. It is. Yeah. And, and you're theoretically taking your own money out, but in the world of electronics, it doesn't really work that way. And it has to be counted as a loan because you can't pull 401k out in cash without tax stuff. That, that sounded really yeah. smart, right? Cap- tax capital, stuff. Capital gains um, exposure. And then you do have to pay interest for it to be a loan, and you have to pay yourself back to avoid paying the taxes on it. And there are ways to do that. And often at the prices we're talking and with that being part of the math for your lender it's not available to everybody although it is available to a lot of people as a bridge yeah there you go she said i that's well that's what happened that was perfectly said yeah they used the 401k loan for cash for 20 percent down payment which we knew was cash we would get back within a few months from the sale of our previous house you can pay off the loan immediately with proceeds from the sale of a previous home so i guess that what is they correct did there was the and you have loan. to have she the, did the bridge loan there yeah and yeah. you have to have the equity in the house you're selling to cover the amount that you're borrowing and more 
There it is. Um, Elena Mangione, your friend, my friend, fabulous woman, also a very smart uh, finance businesswoman. She says to Carly on a different Facebook page and also to Quentin and to me, the risk with the 401k loan is that, that they typically need to be repaid if you change jobs. If you don't, then you default on the loan and you must pay penalty and tax as if it was, as if it was a withdrawal. So there's uh, a tax mine right there. I believe she and if she, and if Elena says it's it's true. No, well, no, she knows what's up. She knows this better than anybody. Exactly right. She wouldn't be doing this if she didn't know what's up. She helped a lot of the restaurants during COVID, uh, getting the COVID uh, money, the PPP she's money. A, Elena she's did. She's a pretty dang smart lady. I'll I'll, resp- I'll read this again. The risk with the four hundred one k loans is that they typically need to be repaid if you change jobs, and if you don't, then you default on the loan. And must pay penalty and tax as if it was a withdrawal. Well, I, I, think, I love these shows. I think in Carla's scenario, that's what would have happened, right? She sold her other house and then just paid back the 401k loan, yeah, right? I think that's I what mean, she did. She so used that, it as a bridge loan. Yeah, perfect. I yeah. mean, and if she's not an agent, she should consider coming to KW to be an agent. I because, think she, I literally think or, she is considering KWA. I don't want to speak out of turn here. I think she is. Or, or even be a mortgage lender. I mean, those are great ideas that a lot of people could benefit from. Yeah, there it is right there. Basically, what you're saying is she's getting creative. Yeah, she, she has the knowledge, or at least she's had a little bit of experience in dabbling in that. And so when she has the buyer that is faced with a difficult situation, she can offer <coughs> some expert and real life experience. I love it, Karen. And I think and part of what Carly is I'd highlighting is there's all sorts of roadblocks. It's not easy to buy and sell a house. Talk to somebody that this is what they do for a living. Find an expert and let them help you navigate this. It's not just a yes-no situation. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a lot of options out there to get you from one place to the next. She says, uh, both, all you guys are correct. The loan is due when you leave the job. But for us, we both have been with our firm since we graduated college. She's an engineer, and she's also with KWA. So you hardly ever knew this. I know. I wasn't going to point that out. <laughs> you don't want to blow the spot. But That's she awesome. says it's part-time, though. Part-time. Carly, you make the shows better. Yeah, that was great. I sincerely mean that. I love that idea. Buchensky's talked about bridge loans as well. So those are out there for those that are wondering. Scotty Moe has talked about the bridge loans as well in this program. Um, all right. We'll get to a couple more comments on the show, and then we'll uh, close her down with, with asking the boys what they're going to do here for the long weekend. We know what Quentin's going to do. We'll get Carrie's plans out of him. Um, six months left in 2023. What's your prediction for the remaining six months there? Carrie Griggs. It's going to continue to stay the course. I, you know, there's going to be inventory that will be coming to the market that will, you know, you'll see the seven days on market before it gets taken off. Um, you'll see multiple offers on well-priced homes. Um, I think that it's still a great time to buy or sell. I think the real estate market's doing okay. In my opinion, I haven't seen a slowdown. So then just hopefully bring more houses to the market and realistic pricing. Everybody wants to list for just so slightly above what it should be because they think it's still as hot as it is. But, you know, educating your buyers and sellers, you know, it has to appraise for the value. That's how we got in this situation in the first place. Everything just kept going up and up and up. And so making our sellers aware that, you know, it has to appraise for value. And I think buyers are more savvy now. They don't necessarily have to come out of pocket with the cash unless they absolutely want to be in that neighborhood or location. He's great, man. He's we a love Kerry. Fantastic ambassador of KWA. Mm-hmm. QB, show's yours. 
Uh, so you know why Elena's watching the show? Why is that? She's convinced that I'm going to die in the woods this weekend, and this is her last <laughs> chance to see me. Oh, yeah, he's going camping. She knows? She knows. Okay. She knows. I never, you know, I, I'm not much of a camping guy. You and Elena share that. I, don't th- I, I would not have thought you were much of a camping guy. You I, see his truck? No, his truck is dope, though. But did you see his eight other car vehicles before that truck? No, that's true. But okay. he's got a camper on there. No, I know. I know. I gave him I, props the last time I saw him. It's like he's got that dope camper on the bed. I'm, yeah. And that's how I know it's his truck when I see him around town because the truck stands out. Yeah. I gave him props for it. But you did see the vehicles before the truck. I did. Okay. This Those were a, luxury vehicles. Yeah. Okay. And now he's got a camping vehicle. <laughs> I know. I know what he does. He, he just called my current vehicle cheap. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... It's a nice vehicle, but you know what? I I was, uh, you know, he sent me a selfie of when he finally got his camper on there, and he was like in his tent. It was so awesome. He looked like a kid on Christmas Day. Oh, it was I love fantastic. this guy. He goes, so I, I have seen his luxury cars, and now he's got a camping vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm allowed to move things around. Come oh, on, right. you're 100. That's, right. that's your that's your hobby, right? It's you like the you like he, fast. I love cars. Stuff. I know yeah. you do. I love cars. That's your thing. Cars are so much fun. Yeah. This is a pretty impressive truck, though. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. I will say. Is it your favorite one so far? It's been my favorite electric vehicle to date. So far? Yeah. Wow, more than the Tesla. Was it, you had the, yeah. was it the Plaid? Mm-hmm. More than the Model that? S Plaid and the Audi RS I like, GT. I like the Audi better than the Tesla. The Audi was probably my, my favorite sports car. Dude, the Audi the looked EV. amazing. Because it, it was. It looked fantastic. It was gorgeous. Yeah. And, and Sexy. Really nice finishes on the inside, but still, it was about the size of this table we're sitting at. <laughs> oh. And so, you know, I'm not sized like the two of you. And so, <laughs> was this it difficult? Is, <laughs> is, it, is it difficult to get in? Is it low? Is it difficult to get in where you're getting low to get in? Oh, that was hard. Now, the Audi was fine, the Tesla okay. was a little bit hard. Okay. And then, uh, one of my really good friends has the Porsche Taycan Cross Turismo. Yeah. Really beautiful car, has a great setup, and still pretty low to the ground to get in and out. And, you know, at my age, it's like one broken hip from the home. So <laughs> Stop you want, You're so ridiculous. You want You're something that's easy to get in and out of. Um, and, you know. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> I know the Audi was fast. He's like, we were in the parking lot. And the Tesla, the Tesla outdid it, but the yeah. Audi was amazingly but fast. But didn't you tell me the Rivian is the fat? Isn't it the fast, faster than it, the... Oh, no, 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 because the, the Tesla was like... Model S Plaid is the fastest car? It was 0 to 60 and I think 1.9. And then uh, Loki, which was the RSGT, was like 0 to 60 and 2.1. Okay. And this is 0 to 60 and 3.0, so incredibly slow. And <laughs> For a truck. Yeah, so fast. For a truck. Amazing. Amazing. So he's going camping. Um, if you don't hear from Quentin, maybe circa Tuesday morning. If I never see you all again, it's been fun. Tuesday morning, around, or maybe Tuesday around lunch, file a missing persons report. Because I think he's supposed to come back on Monday. Is that right? Uh, I should be back by Monday, yeah. Should be back by Monday. Or he just found a peace of mind, and he's like, I'm never going back. He said he's got no cell service. Or if oh. Lee comes back and he looks, you know, fatter... <laughs> Call the police. <laughs> Jesus. Call the police. Um, this was a blast. I love you guys. Thanks, man. I we genuinely, love genuinely love you guys. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it is a lot and of fun. And thank you for joining me. Yeah. yeah. You know what? It's always a pleasure to We come need on more carry around these parts. You know what? I, I love being here. I love the uh, people that I get to talk with. It makes it fun. It does. I was just thinking about this the other day. It's not 
Uh, first time I came on, I was super nervous. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm speaking into this little black camera right here. And uh, then I realized that I'm just on You're just the with show, your friends. Talking to my friends yeah. and like-minded business people. Yeah. This is fantastic. It's awesome. And then when we get these questions, I like the spicy questions too because it kind of keeps me on my toes. I'm like, the Airbnb oh, one? Yeah. That was a good one. All of them, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I understand we're all, we, we're all entitled to our opinions. So the way I view the world may not be the same as someone else's view of the world. But I do love to hear their feedback on it because I may have not thought about that from that angle. Quentin and both you are great when it comes to kind of thinking differently. And it Thank helps you. me be a better speaker, be a better communicator, and it's just, overall, I enjoy this show a whole lot. Well, we'd love having you, man. I mean, the, the show's as good Who you're as in business people. with matters. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can tell these dudes are, like, high-character people. That's why KWA is, is where it's at, guys. Yeah. Keller Williams Alliance. Um, Judah Wickower, props to you. I love Seville's show, one hour and eight minutes away. When you see Quentin Beckham and Kerry Griggs, give them props for a job well done. And if Woo-hoo. you don't hear from Quentin by Tuesday, call the fuzz. Call the fuzz. For <laughs> well, he's going to come back and be like, great harvest is guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> for Quentin, Kerry, and Judah, I'm Jerry. So long, everybody. That was fun, guys. Yeah. Sorry I was late, no gentlemen. I, was, I have a new uh, agent, so I'm trying to teach him.